The sermon today is from Luke 12, 13 through 34. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Relax. Soul, you are to have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul was required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They are neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat, what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, but your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. In 2014, uh, Microsoft, software giant, paid uh, $2.5 billion to acquire the Swedish company that had created the worldwide gaming sensation Minecraft. And when they bought it, Marcus Pearson was the one that benefited greatly from this as he instantly, after selling this company, uh, instantly had a, a net worth of $1.3 billion. So what did he do? Well, he went to Beverly Hills, and he outbid Jay-Z and Beyonce to purchase a $70 million mansion in Beverly Hills. And I'll spare you the details of this mansion, but suffice it to say, it was loaded with everything you could possibly imagine, right? Including a movie theater and everything. But on August 29th, 2015, Marcus Pearson started to tweet some things. And I wanna read you a series of tweets that came from him in the early hours of the morning. The man who had just sold a company and was now worth 1.3 billion and had just bought a $70 million mansion in Beverly Hills. 4.48 a.m., 
The problem with getting everything is you run out of reasons to keep trying. And human interaction becomes impossible due to imbalance. 4.50 a.m., two minutes later. Hanging out in a visa with a bunch of friends and partying with famous people, able to do whatever I want, and I've never felt more isolated. 4.52 a.m., two minutes later. When we sold the company, the biggest effort went into making sure the employees got taken care of, and they all hate me now. 4.53 a.m., one minute later. Found a great girl, but she's afraid of me and my lifestyle and went with a normal person instead. Now, I could venture to say that none of you, I'll say most, will leave the door cracked open a little bit. That most of you uh, will not sell a company and be worth $1.3 billion in your lifetime. So why in the world did I read this story? Because this story unpacks a heart issue that applies to those that are worth $1.3 billion and those that are, have a personal net worth of one cent or three cents. This is a story that unpacks the heart issue of, of greed. And greed is not an issue with people that have a lot or have a little. Greed is a heart issue, no matter what you have, little or a lot. And it, and it begs the question as we continue this stewardship series, how are we to steward the possessions, the stuff that God has given us? How do we steward possessions? And to answer this, we're going to look at four questions. First, what is greed? What is it? Then what does greed produce? What causes greed? And then finally, what's the remedy for greed? So let's start with what is greed? Jesus begins to answer it, or at least address it, define it in verse 15. Verse 15, Jesus says, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Now the word that gets translated covetousness also gets translated greed, Just either or. Now what is it? What is it? Greed is the strong desire to acquire more and more material possessions or more possessions than other people have, irrespective or without regard to need. Let me say that again. Greed is the strong desire to acquire more and more material possessions or more possessions than another person irrespective of need, both your own need and the needs of others. And to illustrate and explain this, Jesus tells this parable of this rich man. So first, desire to acquire more and more irrespective of your own needs. Look at verse 16 and 17. The land of a rich man produced plentifully, and he thought to himself, what shall I do? 
for I have nowhere to store my crops. Now, this man had a, a bumper crop. This was a, a, a earnings way beyond average, earnings way beyond projection, right? It's a bumper crop. He gets just blessed with this amazing wealth of a crop that comes in. And he says, what should I do? And what does he do? He tears down his barns and he builds bigger ones to stockpile what has come in. Now, what's interesting is that he had barns already, right? And we can assume that the barns that he already had were sufficient to store some of the crops that he would get year to year, that those barns were sufficient for his needs, for the needs of his household. But then in comes this influx of wealth, this influx of an agricultural world, a bumper crop. And he decides, I need to stockpile this. Even though he didn't need it, that's the key. He didn't need it, but he was going to acquire more and more and stockpile it for security, for whatever it may be. And so greed, we see here, is the strong desire to acquire more and more, irrespective of your own needs. Second, though, it's not just acquiring more and more without regard to your own needs, but without regard to the needs of others. There's another observation in this parable that's striking, right? The number of times that this man uses the word I or my. In fact, in this very short parable, you'll see he, he says six times I and five times my, right? He says uh, my crops, my barns, my grain, my goods, my soul. See, not only is there a failure of recognizing the needs of others because he's consumed with self, but there's even a failure to recognize this blessing as coming from the hand of God. We're in this series on stewardship, and the core of stewardship is God owns it all. Everything I have belongs to him. He calls me to steward it. This man doesn't even see that this bumper crop comes from God, is a blessing from God, belongs to God, and then he doesn't look to see the needs of others. So again, greed is this strong desire to acquire more and more irrespective or without regard to your own needs or the needs of others. When God blesses you with a bumper crop, I don't know that we have any farmers in the room, maybe some, but when God blesses you with a bumper crop in the form of a salary raise, or a large gift, or uh, a large bonus, or maybe a large inheritance from a loved one? What do you do? That's exactly what this rich man faces. In comes the blessing, and he says, what shall I do? And I want to I present to you what I think are three questions that, needs to be, that need to be asked. When the bumper crop comes in, but let's just even put that aside, because there are three questions that need to be asked of your current possessions, your current stuff. Here they are. Number one, God, what do you want me to do with this recognizing it all belongs to you? God, what do you want me to do with this recognizing it all belongs to you? Number two, what do I need? Are my needs already met? And then number three, what do others need? 
is there someone that has a need that I might be able to help meet through what you've blessed me with, God? And you'll notice that those three questions are the very opposite questions that flow out of greed, right? The questions that would flow out of greed. How much would it take for us to have enough money? It's, it's really remarkable when you look at the number of studies that are done around that question that's posed to, to respondents. How much money is enough or how much stuff or possessions are enough? Do you know that regardless of if somebody is making $25,000 a year, $60,000 a year, $250,000 a year, $2 million a year, Regardless of how much people are making, do you know that this, almost the identical answer is given to that question? It's 10% more. I could just use 10% more, right? And then what they found is they do these studies over time. So if they kind of ask the same people over time, that over the years after maybe they've gotten 10% more and they ask again, guess what the answer is again? 10% more. On and on and on. It shouldn't be surprising because that is what greed is. It, greed, by definition, is the acquiring of more and more and more and more because it's, it's never enough. Right? So that's what greed is. Now, what does greed produce? Let's move on to the second question. What does greed produce? There's two answers here. What we typically think it produces and what it actually produces. Let's start with what we think it typically produces. The, uh, this rich man reveals this, the answer to what we typically think it produces. Right? Look at verse 19. After he tears down his barns, builds larger ones, stockpiles this bumper crop, notice what he says. Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. He thinks that the stockpiling of these goods is going to give him enough security into the future that his soul can rest. And that's pretty common, right, of the view of acquiring more and more, that if I acquire more and more, that my, my happiness will grow and that my problems will decrease, right? There's that thought that if I acquire more and more, my problems will go away and my happiness will increase. Jesus actually gives the answer of what greed, or should I just say what the acquiring of more and more actually produces. And you'll notice that after this rich man, the parable of the rich man, you'll notice as Jesus begins speaking to his disciples, notice what he says in verse 22. He says, do not be anxious about your life. And then he repeats that over and over. Verse 25. He says, and which of you by being anxious? And then verse 26, why are you anxious about the rest? And then verse 29, nor be worried. And then verse 32, fear not. You see, what Jesus is saying here is that what greed actually produces is just the opposite of what we think it produces. Or should I say the acquiring of more and more? We'll get to it later. You say, well, I'm not greedy. But okay, so the acquiring of more and more. We think it produces rest and provision for the future and no worries and no anxiety. And Jesus says, no, it's actually just the opposite. 
that greed produces massive amounts of anxiety and fear. I was reading an article this past week. You ready for this title? It's a good one. Anxiety attack ahead, exclamation point. Why it's okay if you don't win the Powerball jackpot. Now you can imagine what this article went on to talk about. In fact, in the article, they interview a wealth psychologist who counsels uh, millionaires and counsels people who win the lottery. And it was fascinating to hear this wealth psychologist talk about his encounters with those who have won the lottery. These people that win the Powerball jackpot who never have to work again in their lives and who, who don't have to worry about provision ever again. And yet they come into his office absolutely consumed with anxiety and fear. Why? Because the acquiring of more and more greed actually, as Jesus says, produces not happiness and rest, but it produces anxiety and fear and worry. Why? This brings us to the third question. What is the cause of greed? What is the cause of greed? That insatiable desire for more and more irrespective of need, your own needs or the needs of others. Jesus answers this starting in verse 15. When he says, one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Now the verb that gets translated does not consist is actually the verb to be. It's is. Like, he is happy. She is sad. So how this literally reads is, one's life is not the abundance of his possessions. Meaning that you're not defined. Your worth is not calculated by how much you have. That's what Jesus is saying. That your worth, your identity, your value, who you are is not defined by how much you have or what you can acquire. And then he says it again. Jesus says it again in verse 23. He says, for life is more than food and the body more than clothing. The word life there, the word for life there is the same word that gets translated in verse 20 as soul. It's the Greek word suke. It's where we get psyche, right? In other words, for, for your soul is more than food. Your soul, the very inner core being of who you are as created in the image of God is not defined by what you have or what you can acquire or how much you can acquire. Who you are, your identity, worth, and value is not determined by what you can acquire. And then Jesus gives us two examples of this. All right, he talks about the ravens and the lilies. Start with the ravens, verse 24. He says, consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? There it is, value. What makes you valuable? What makes you worth something as a person? It's what Jesus is driving at. 
And he says, don't be anxious about what you eat. Now, is Jesus just speaking here literally about the food you put in your body? Certainly. But what he's talking about here is provision. God's provision in your life. And he's using food as an example of God's provision. And food is a category of provision. Namely, comfort. Right? Food brings comfort. Especially if it's a medium rare filet mignon with a loaded baked potato and a salad with homemade ranch dressing. You just, you know what comforts me. There it is. But food brings comfort, right? Brings comfort. What Jesus is saying here is that if you, if you seek comfort apart from God, it will produce greed, right? If you seek comfort apart from God, just use food as an example as Jesus does here. If you seek, if you seek comfort in food, comfort eating, we can use that phrase, but comfort in food apart from God, you'll end up a glutton. You'll want more and more, right? Or use a, a, a medicine. Medicine brings comfort, right? It's a gift of God. But if you seek comfort in medicine, apart from God, you'll end up addicted, right? Why? Because seeking comfort apart from God produces greed. That's the cause of greed. The acquiring of more and more because those things were never meant to ultimately satisfy your soul, but the deepest part of who you are made in the image of God. Then he goes on to the lilies, right? Look at the lilies, verse 27 to 28. Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive today in the field and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? Then Jesus says, don't be anxious about what you put on your body. Now, is he just speaking about what you go purchase at the department store, the clothing you buy that you wear? Well, he's Certainly is, but again, he's talking about provision, and this is another category of provision. Right? What does clothing do? It covers your nakedness, to be just blunt, covers your nakedness and shame, but it, it makes you presentable to other people. It makes you beautiful, or it makes you handsome. You can use clothing to impress others, to, to make yourself feel valuable to make yourself feel secure. If I'm wearing certain clothing, I feel secure as a person. So, so seeking value, beauty, security, apart from God leads to greed. That's the category of what Jesus is speaking about here. That when we seek value and beauty and security apart from God, it produces greed, the acquiring of more and more. And the reason it does is because the things in this world of God's creation that are blessings, clothing is good, food is good. But when those things become what we're looking toward, to, to give ourselves worth and value and security as a person, you need more and more and you have to acquire more and more because they never ultimately were designed to satisfy. I've shared this story in the past, but in 1945, the, the battle cruiser, the USS uh, Indianapolis, was delivering uh, supplies to the Allied forces in the Pacific. 
And on the way back, it got hit with a Japanese tor torpedo. And it went down quick, within minutes. Within 12 minutes, 300 of the 1,200 men had died. And the remaining 900 on board were now in the Pacific Ocean floating, what ended up being for four days and five nights, without food, without water, with sharks circling. And of those 900, only 316 survived. And one of the men that survived was the chief medical officer. Listen to what he said of, this, of his account of those four, five horroring days in the Pacific Ocean. There was nothing I could do. Nothing I could do but give advice. Bury the dead at sea, save the life jackets, and try to keep the men from drinking the water. When the hot sun came out and we were in this crystal clear ocean, we were so thirsty. You couldn't believe it wasn't good enough to drink. I had a hard time convincing the men that they shouldn't drink. The real young ones, you take away their hope, you take away their water and food, they would drink the salt water and they would go fast. I can remember striking the ones who were drinking the salt water to try to stop them. They would get dehydrated, then become maniacal. There were mass hallucinations. Salt water dehydrates you. And the more you drink, the thirstier you get. And so the more you drink until you literally dehydrate yourself to death. When you seek comfort, and value and security apart from God. It is like drinking salt water. Because the more that you seek comfort and value and security apart from God, the actual thirstier you get. And so you seek more comfort and more value and more security apart from God until literally your soul just, just dies a slow death. What causes greed? It's seeking comfort. It's seeking security apart from God. So what's the remedy? What's the remedy for greed? This insatiable desire to acquire more and more, irrespective of our needs or the needs of others. Look at verses 32 to 33. Jesus says, fear not, little flock. Fear not, my little children my little community that I care deeply about. For it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So sell your possessions and give to the needy. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. That's a call to generosity. But I want you to notice what, 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 what Jesus is saying there. That your generosity, whatever scale it is, is always a response always a response to the generosity of God. You see, before Jesus calls his disciples to sell their possessions and give to the needy, he tells them how generous his father is with them. And the joy and the pleasure it brings the father to give the kingdom to them. See, with the kingdom of God in your possession, you're free to let go of your earthly possessions. Why? Why? Look at verse 30. 
For all the nations of the world seek after these things. And your father knows that you need them. Now, what are these things? Verse 29, what you are to eat, what you are to drink. We can add what you are to wear. But remember, Jesus is talking about these as provision and as categories of provision. In other words, the the father knows that you need these things. Yes, you need food. Yes, you need drink. Yes, you need clothing. But you see how much deeper it is when we talk about the categories of provision. The father knows that you need comfort. The father knows that you need value. The father knows that you need security. And he gives it to you when he gives you the kingdom. How does this work? How does it work? 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beautiful chapter that talks about the resurrection of Christ and therefore our resurrection. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 23, as he's talking about Christ's resurrection and then our following that, he says, but each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ, then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God. The Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power, for he, Jesus, must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. See, this defines what the kingdom is in Luke 12 that Jesus says the Father gives us. The kingdom is the all-powerful rule and authority of King Jesus engaged forever and ever on your behalf. That's what the kingdom is. The all-powerful rule and authority of Jesus Christ engaged forever and ever on your behalf. And now you can see why when he says to his disciples, the Father's giving you the kingdom. Why he says in verse 31, Seek his kingdom and these things will be added to you. Listen, if the father gives you the kingdom, which is the all-powerful authority and rule of Jesus Christ engaged on your behalf forever and ever, then that means that King Jesus gives you your comfort. That means that King Jesus gives you your security. In fact, Psalm 1611 says at the right hand of God, which is where Jesus is, is pleasure forevermore. Jesus is your comfort and pleasure. Uh, Hebrews chapter 13, verse five, where it says that Jesus will never leave you or forsake you, that King Jesus is your security. King Jesus is your comfort. And if you possess the kingdom, which does not fail, where moth doesn't destroy, if you possess the kingdom, then all those things that you need, the Father knows you need, He provides so that now your earthly possessions and stuff don't become means by which you secure that, but they become means by which you can honor God, serve others, give it away because you have the kingdom. You have Jesus Christ as the king ruling over your life and his church forever and ever on your behalf. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If the kingdom of God 
is your treasure, then your heart will follow and your possessions and your stuff will follow. There have been a number of studies and polls that have been conducted on what are the, what are the biggest problems of our culture. And I'm going to give you three, and it's fascinating, the commonality between all three. But Zogby recently conducted a, a large benchmark poll in which the respondents to this poll identified greed and materialism as the number one most urgent problem in American culture. In a recent Vanity Fair poll, 78% of Americans disagreed with the, the famous Gordon Gecko quote that greed is good. In other words, vast majority of people said, no, greed's awful, it's a problem. And then in a, in a recent poll of The Economist, the, the readers were asked this, what's the deadliest sin? Guess what ranked number one? Greed. Greed. But here's the surprise, is that while a vast majority or most everyone would acknowledge greed and materialism as a major problem, if not the number one problem that we have, those very same people, which includes you and me, don't think they have a problem with greed, right? The BBC uh, did, a, did a poll to, to, to reveal this, and they asked this, this question. These two questions they asked. Which sin have you ever committed, and which sin have you committed in the past month? And they gave them the seven, the seven deadliest sins as options to choose from, right? And the seven deadly sins are anger, envy, gluttony, Greed, lust, pride, and sloth. Guess where greed finished? Seventh. See the discrepancy? Tim Keller said it this way. Even though it is clear that the world is filled with greed and materialism, almost no one thinks it's true of them. Greed hides itself from the victim, which is consistent with the beginning of this passage in Luke 12, when Jesus says in verse 15, take care and be on your guard. Why does Jesus say that? Because he knows that greed hides itself from the victim. He says, take care, be on your guard. Be on your guard about acquiring more and more and more irrespective of your needs or irrespective of the needs of others. Recognize that, that greed, the acquiring of more and more, doesn't produce happiness and free you from your problems. It actually produces more anxiety and more fear. And recognize that the cause of greed is your deep soul's desire for comfort and worth and value and security made in the image of God. And that those things can't those things you're seeking after can't solve that, can't give that, can't satisfy that. And then the remedy is that you serve a generous God, a God who gives you the kingdom, gives it to you, and he doesn't do it begrudgingly. Doesn't do it begrudgingly. I don't want to give this sinner my kingdom. They keep failing me over and over. No, with great joy, he gives you the kingdom, which is Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection, him being exalted on the throne with all rule and authority, engaged on your behalf forever and ever, giving you your comfort, giving you your security, giving you your value. 
And out of that, then Jesus says, sell your possessions. Give to the needy. Steward your possessions based on what you need, but then on what other needs to glorify me. Let's pray. Father, we confess to you our greed. We do believe it hides itself. And we all confess that, that desire to acquire more and more, even if we don't need it, to acquire more and more. And we confess it and, and, and see our own fallenness. Father, in that posture, we, we, we praise you for the provision of your kingdom with King Jesus ruling over it, having died for our sins, having raised to give us new life, and now ruling and reigning on our behalf, on behalf of his church, his people. So Father, would you help us to do some healthy introspection? And would your Holy Spirit point out areas in our life where our hearts have gotten locked down with greed? And would you, Holy Spirit, reveal to us the kingdom that has been given to us that we would be freed from having to acquire more and more, but that we'd be freed to give it away to those in need after our own basic needs are met. Father, would you make us good stewards? Would you help us to recognize that everything we own, all the stuff we own, all the money we own, homes, cars, gadgets, everything belongs to you. And you give it to us freely to use to your glory. Help us to do that. Help us to steward it well for your kingdom and for the sake of others. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.